Welcome to the Danny Palmer Show. Does it sound cool if I say it like that? Oh my god, that feels so good. What up, Jones? Welcome to the Fun Friday Pod. This is your host, Danny Palmer. Uh, I've been listening each week. I listen back to my podcast, you know, interviews and music. Like, I, like okay, you know, I kind of rate myself in my mind. I critique myself. Like sometimes I don't listen to something, and then I hear that I didn't listen, and then the the person I'm talking to has to like correct me or like re-explain what they just said, and it's like, God damn it, Danny, fucking focus. But last week I was listening to the Fun Friday Pod, and I had Ruth from Ozark as my co-host, and it was fun. But then I was like, you know what? It's it's it feels a little contrived, Danny. You know what I mean? Like, just fucking relax. Like, bring Ruth back occasionally, but we don't need this other fucking fake guest voice all the fucking time. Who knows? It's a creative endeavor. Podcasting is a creative endeavor. You know, you think you got to figure it out and you're like, oh, that was a good app. And then you listen back to your shit and you're like, I am probably the worst, (laughs) the least talented podcaster on the fucking planet. Not according to Germany, though. People in Germany seem to like this. Thanks, Germans. Any fucking who? Any fucking who? Uh, I I was thinking about last week what was fun. I hosted the uh, a show at New York Comedy Club on Saturday, and as is my won't, W O N T. I love saying as is my won't. I know it's an outdated phrase, but I love it. I was hitting on a woman in the audience. She was twenty two. <laughs> I I don't know how old they are when I started talking to them. I was just kind of jokingly hanging around, hitting on her. You know what I mean? Just kind of fun. It's a fun little thing. And I said to her, I was like, her name was Shannon. I go, hey, Shannon, what do you think you're, uh, this is like my, my kind of go-to little line, like not to like reveal the man behind the curtain of my act, but I do repeat things as we all, as all comics do. And uh, I go, what do you think about, what are your thoughts on spending the rest of your life with a 46-year-old bald man? And she said, I don't think my parents would like it, <laughs> which frankly sounds like a cop out. Okay, Shannon, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Then she was walking out of the club and I go, uh, right as soon as she's walking out the door, I go, bye, Shannon. I love you. <laughs> and the bouncer chief, he's this really cool guy. I'm like friends with him now. He just started shaking his head and laughing. I mean, sometimes the things that happen at stand-up shows that are the most fun don't necessarily happen on stage, but they might happen like after the show when you have this interaction with a crowd member like that. Just, you know, it's a million ways for stand-up to be fun and that, that's one of them. Um, got some feedback last week from the old pod, John. The old pod, John. Sit, kid. Uh, my, I had my friend Max Stapleton on. He is a gay Macon resident who works at the George I Bank. <laughs> and uh, someone said a, a direct quote from the Max pod. So what are the ramifications if you get groped in the metaverse? Hashtag me com, y'all. It's true. What are, it's an open question. If you get groped in the metaverse, is that a punishable offense? Is that a criminal offense? I guess time will tell. Something tells me over time, if you do bad shit in the metaverse, you're going to be able to get in trouble for it. I mean, this is in the real world, but like when that astronaut um, tried to enter her wife's bank account from the International Space Station <laughs> and they tied the uh, the bank, noticed that their server was accessed by a NASA server <laughs> from the ISS. I mean, that's crime in space. So if you, commit, if you can commit crime in outer space, who's to say you can't commit it in the metaverse, right? And my friend Tom, who was on the pod uh, or is going to be on the pod next week, was telling me that from a legal perspective, if you make someone feel threatened, that can be considered a crime. You don't have to necessarily act. The threat itself can be considered a crime. So if you're threatening people in the metaverse, I don't see why that couldn't be prosecuted. So that would suck. Spend the rest of your life behind bars for something you typed. <laughs> Damn, that sucks. What else do I got? What else do I got for you? 
Oh, someone was saying they're disappointed that I didn't understand how iBanks worked and I did my work study at the medical school when I was in college. It's true. I worked at the uh, at a shit job. I mean, I guess I should be grateful for the fact that I was making money at a work study job in college, which I desperately needed. At one point, I had this like journal in college and I wrote in it that I had $5. <laughs> so I would make like probably like $8 an hour at the Learning Resource Center in the medical library at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia. And it was really boring. So we would just, our shifts were like Sunday 1 to 6 or Sunday 6 to 11 or even like during the week 5 to 11, you know, just like six hours of sitting there. I mean, you could work on your homework and it was a quiet environment, but it was pretty boring. Like the big excitement was when a, you know, a medical student would come in and check out a box of bones so that they could study the bones, real human bones. So that's fun when nobody else is there and it's just you and there's just some human bones across the way, you know? But dude, we did the most reckless shit in there. Like we, one time we rode our bikes around the uh, learning resource center. We would rig up the TV so that we could watch NFL games on Sunday. I tried to have sex with a mannequin of, it was just, I talk about this in my act, my first ever act on YouTube. You can watch this, but I had a, uh, like these, you know, these mannequins of the human anatomy so that the medical students can study them. And one of them was a woman with her legs open. It was just the legs up to the torso. And, uh, you know, I, I just kept looking at that thing at that thing all day when I was trying to study. I'm like, God damn it. Sucks I'm a virgin. That thing's right there. <laughs> Anyways, I'll skip the deeper story. I'll save that for another time. Um, I was listening to an interview with Peter Dinklage uh, on Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast. And uh, he, he told this really funny story. He said that when he was first getting into acting... Him and his friend tried to open a theater in New York, in Brooklyn, under the Williamsburg Bridge. And it was just, you know, destined for failure from the start. Like there was no heat in the building. And the landlord tried to murder his friend. <laughs> and they just drank too much. And it just the whole endeavor just fell apart. <laughs> but that's just, that's just so funny to me that like, how'd your theater uh, endeavor go? Uh, my friend almost got killed. <laughs> Dude, landlords threatening to murder people. Landlords threatening to murder artists. That is a classic New York tale. Like back in the day, we used to do uh, comedy shows at Fat Baby on the Lower East Side. Uh, Benny D, Julio kind of ran the thing. I was a part of it too, okay? And, uh, you know, it was just like a shit, just like this basement thing. We would just like, you know, people were doing blow in the coat room and we, you know, we put on a show, but it wasn't really a show. And I mean, it was a show, but it was like a really tough show and... It's just, uh, yeah, definitely like drinking too much. There probably were, you know, threats of some sort of threats of violence from ne'er do well seedy landlords in the area. Very, very New York underground art scene vibe, you know, <laughs> which I guess includes murder threats. Uh, and also, Peter Dinklage said one of his favorite quotes is that perseverance plus talent equals luck. I love that. That's a great one. You know, it's good to think about stuff like that. You know, I started watching Game of Thrones. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's a program on HBO. <laughs> And uh, I'm like six episodes into the first season. I don't like fantasy. I don't really give a shit about flying dragons or whatever. You know, why, why do I get to invest my time in learning this like fake map of like lands and shit? You know, I don't care about Winterfell. And then you got to go find this big wall. And there's all these like other creatures and shit and seven kingdoms. Like, bro, who cares? It's fake. It's obviously fake. Why would I spend part of my life alive on Earth in a real environment, in an actual city, around real people, and then just like spend time thinking about a pretend world that a guy made up in his head. But you know what I just described? All of fiction. <laughs> so you can't really write off all of fiction. But anyways, Mark Maron has not watched Game of Thrones and Peter Dinklage was trying to 
you know, someone trying to convince him to watch it. And he goes, most of Game of Thrones is just two people. It's just people talking in a room. You know, there is the dragons and the action and horses getting decapitated. Of course, people, kids getting pushed off of tall buildings, brothers and sisters having sex, lot, all, all the worst things you can think of. But it's mostly just people talking. I mean, that's kind of like Ozark, too. You know, like I was thinking about that. Ozark is like a show about negotiation. And in almost every single scene, they are negotiating with each other to take X or Y action. There's certainly, you know, people getting shot and violence and treacherous affairs. But like also a lot of it's just sitting there talking. You know, it's like part of me was wondering when I was watching the uh, first half of the most recent season that they just released on Netflix. I'm like, how come every time Darlene goes over to someone's house, they're like they're doing nothing and open the door and have a chat. Like, do, do people in Ozark ever show up somewhere and then the person isn't there? <laughs> do they never face logistic inconveniences? <laughs> Logistical inconveniences? It seems unrealistic, and it is because it's a show. Anyways, I think they should throw that in there every now and then, you know? Someone storms over to, like, Ruth's trailer and, you know, Ruth went out to the store. <laughs> I guess I'll come back later and scream at her. So that's fun. I've also been... um. Oh, well, it's kind of sad, but uh, the um, Brody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the woman, the Miss USA, that tragically took her own life. I think I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm sorry. I think it's Chesley Christ. Christ. Um, she was a former Miss USA. She was an anchor for a reporter for Extra, the TV show, and uh, she took her own life. I guess she jumped off her balcony in Manhattan last week. It's awful, obviously. Um, but it reminded me of a story from my comedy, uh, days, (laughs) my comedy days. I'm not over. Also, it sounds like I'm about to say something funny. It's not funny, but, um, I was in New Orleans for the New Orleans arts and comedy festival. Me and my friends, Julio Gallarotti, Zach McGovern, Ben DeMarco. We went down there like fucking seven years or at least me and Zach did. I think Julio and Benny went once or twice. And uh, it was a fun festival. Yvonne Landry uh, was a great festival director and people would come. A lot of comics would come from LA. A lot of um, some agents and managers would come from LA. I mean, mainly to like, you know, party New Orleans because every year they would do it during the Crew de Vue Mardi Gras uh, parade weekend. A lot of people don't realize Mardi Gras is not just Fat Tuesday. There's like a month of parades when it's not COVID. And um, one year... Uh, Zach Galifianakis was there and that was really cool because we were like hanging out in this like green room above the theater and we walk in and it's like up oh, there's Zach Galifianakis and obviously you know you don't want to like bother a star and you know be a fanboy and be like a nervous little loser or like annoy him and the director of the festival is like guys just don't fucking annoy Zach Galifianakis if you can and we none of us did we were like completely like just you know just we said hello but we didn't bother him um, and he was there because uh, he was working on, I think, this HBO show that Brody Stevens was recording. And um, if you, you may know if, in the, if you're you know, attuned to the comedy world that unfortunately Brody Stevens took his own life, I think about three years ago now. God damn, it's been that long. Something like that. Anyways, Zach Galifianakis was there in New Orleans with Brody um, to watch him hone his act for this show. And we went down into the theater and the room was full. And Brody was performing. And so there wasn't really any place for the comics to stand that were on the show. So we there was this like back room to the... If you're standing on stage, stage right in the back of the room to the right of the stage. And it was like these beads. And it was kind of like this little like closet area, you know, where they kind of stored equipment. Kind of a quote unquote green room. But it's pretty shabby, dumpy little room. And uh, we 
me and my friend Ashley, uh, uh, we walk through the beads to go back and stand there and just get out of the way of, and not be disruptive. And we push the beads open. And as we looked behind there, we saw Zach Galifianakis just sitting there by himself. And it's a really small room. Now it's just me and her and Zach Galifianakis in this small room. And a show's going on, so you're not supposed to talk. And we're like, oh my God. So the second we push those beads open, we made eye contact with each other and just kind of like, we, Ashley and I just like immediately turned around. We're like, we're not obviously not going to bother him. So we didn't. So we didn't bother him. So we just turned around, we watched the show. And then Zach came on, stood behind us. And it was just one of my favorite moments in comedy because I got to see the audience react to Brody Stevens. He's very funny, but it's a very like awkward, kind of like self loathing kind of funny. We got to see the audience laugh at the punchlines, mostly the punchlines that he had set up. But Zach didn't laugh at that stuff because he'd probably seen it a hundred times. He laughed at the other stuff. He laughed when the jokes didn't hit or the awkward moments between the bits. That's what he found funny. And that was just one of my favorite moments in comedy was seeing Brody Stevens act through the eyes of Zach Galifianakis. You know, I mean, I never even talked to the guy, but like that moment was just really... It's really cool. And now that, you know, unfortunately Brody is gone, it's even more more poignant of a memory. Okay, Danny, that's kind of sad. Yeah. I've also been listening to this interview with Ben Affleck and Howard Stern. Um, dude, he, man, I, you know, kids go through tough times. Uh, you know, it's embarrassing to be a kid. You get humiliated often. But then he, he told this story about his dad, I guess, had a drinking problem. And he was in sixth grade. And then the seventh graders went on a field trip to the courthouse and when they came back, they were like, hey, Ben Affleck, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, your dad's Tim Affleck, I think it was his name. And he's like, yeah. When they went to the courthouse to go on this field trip and learn about the law, his dad was being arraigned in the court for DUI and like possession of a controlled substance or something like that. Or like that was the case like on the docket. So now the kids that he looks up to know that his dad has this like substance abuse problem and came and told him about it. And he didn't even know that they were going on a field. Oh, man. I mean, God damn, dude. Everybody's like, celebrities are rich and famous. They're lucky. They have everything. They don't have any problems in their life. And then you hear a story like that. You're like, Jesus, I never got humiliated like that when I was in sixth grade, you know? So just keep that in mind. Everybody's got their own fucking demons to bear, dude. I don't know, dude. I'm going to have to keep this episode a little shorter, you guys, because my computer is dying of battery. Dying of battery, Danny? What kind of fucking language is that, dude? What kind of language am I speaking in? Fucking murder. Fucking loser. Fucking murderer. I'm not a murderer. I'm a loser. <laughs> um... Oh, but earlier in the interview, Ben Affleck was talking about like the time in his career when he was at his most low and all the tabloids hated him. And he was trying to think of a way to, I think this is what he was talking about, trying to think of a way to like get uh, around that and find a positive way to escape that turmoil and emotional angst. And he goes, if do you want self-esteem, then do esteemable things. I kind of love that, you know, when, when you're just like grinding in your head and I suck and this is bad. I don't know, go record a podcast, go do a stand-up show, go write a book, go read a book, go visit somebody in the hospital. Like there's a million different ways you can just get out of your own fucking head and go do something. And that'll help you feel better about yourself. I mean, I know that's kind of obvious. God damn it. Is this too obvious? God damn it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I mean, you gotta be really focused to want to do uh not focused. You gotta be really passionate to want to commit to the craft of stand-up. I'll tell you that, man, because it's fucking brutal. I was reading this quote by Robert H. Frank. He said, my point is that becoming an expert is so challenging that you are unlikely to expend the necessary effort unless the task is one that you love for its own sake. If it is, the process will be rewarding apart from whether it leads to high pay. And it's just like that Tom Brady quote about the the reward for doing hard work is just that, the work. You got to love it for what it is and not for what you want to get out of it. 
or else you're not going to have the, the requisite commitment that you need to fucking crush. All right. Okay. I think I'm going to wrap up this week with this quote. I've got this other article that I want to talk about, about the ideal self, your authentic self, what that actually means. And this actually is kind of a good uh, lead into that. But um, this is a quote that I pulled from my favorite uh, Farnham Street blog. The, I get their newsletter every Sunday and the quotes are really cool. Um, here it goes. The things people love about you aren't necessarily the things you want to be loved for. They decide they like you for reasons completely outside of your control, of which you're often not even conscious. It's certainly not because of the big act you put on, all the charm and anecdotes you've calculated for effect. And if your act does fool someone, it only makes you feel like a successful fraud and harbor some secret contempt for them. The contempt of a con artist for his mark. Plus, now you're condemned to keep up that act forever, lest she realize. At some point, you have to accept that other people's perceptions of you are as valid and probably a lot more objective than your own. What the fuck? That's intense, dude. You know? Because I think we always have this sense of like, I am X and I present X to the world because that's what I think of myself. That's who I think that I am. That's a positive view I have. And then other people see you and then they give you feedback on yourself. And sometimes that feedback is hurtful or painful or doesn't align with that self-perception that you have. And you're like, what the fuck? You're wrong. But their view is more objective because they're not you. They're not burdened with the, you know, history and ego and, um, you know, perception, controlling desire that we all have to because we want people to like us we want to you know when we nobody wants to be reviled by society you want people to like you so the image that we have is likely to be one that's cultivated to maximize how much other people like us but the objective people that other objective view that other people have of you is more likely to be accurate and so that's why i try to listen you know i try to listen to my friends like one of my friends give me feedback he's like you give up too early on dating like you find reasons why you think it's not going to work instead of giving it a chance. And I'm like, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't. And then I'm like, no, 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 he's right. I do that. So that's something I need to work on. And I'm like, what if I actually don't like the person a lot? Maybe I'm just realizing that and I don't want to waste my time. And he's like, yeah, but you, if you do that all the time, that says more about your, your evaluation of the situation and the person than the person themselves. So, you know, give people more time before you make that kind of critical judgment. Anyways, so that's fun. Oh, what a fun way to end that was. Hey, man, self-improvement is lit, dude. Do you guys like to improve yourselves and try, dude? I like to think about self-improvement. And then like Friday night at 7, I'm like, all right, now I'm just going to smoke weed and try to think about good music. Think about Dua Lipa. Uh, have a good weekend, you fucking jeans. I'm on Instagram, Danny Palmer, NYC. My friend, I always say, follow me on Insta. Uh, send me a note. No one ever does. Oh, my friend Carissa. And then she sent me a note. She, go, she goes, I'm sending you a message on Insta just to prove to you that people do follow you on Instagram. So thank you, Carissa. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend, you fucking jeans. Oh, by the way, the guest next week is Tom McCaffrey. He's funny as fuck. <laughs>